lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Our Bible today is on the screen. It's from 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 12. If you have a church Bible, it's on page 1222, and it's uh, four books, main books, before the end of the Bible. Okay. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. This is the word of the Lord. My turn, is it? I've got this on. Well, good morning. My name is Graham Hall, and I'm pleased to be sharing with you this morning. Just a little bit of background myself. I, uh, when I left school, I trained as a technician. And then I spent seven years, after I got married, I went and worked with my father-in-law for seven years so I could earn my wife. And then um, uh, then I went teaching and I was a teacher in the education department for 10 years. And then I was a teacher out at Dare Christian College for 10 years where I was um, a middle school teacher and uh, with maths and English and whatever else they needed. And I was also in charge of the Christian education uh, program at the school. And then uh, uh, God did something in my life where he called me to basically plant a church. I grew up um, 
we uh, went to Hope Valley Uniting Church and uh, I was, uh, I, for one year I was actually pastoring that church and then when Graham Trilkery came, I was the uh, youth director for many years. And then when we planted, the, uh, when Graham left the Uniting Church, uh, I was the uh, appointed as youth pastor of the Northeastern Community Church, which became Northeastern Vineyard Church. And um, then he asked me to plant another church, and so I planted Torrens Valley Christian Centre. And that was 27 years ago, so that's a while back. Um, my wife actually, Diane, she was hoping to be here today, but was unable to because she got a cough and she didn't want to share it with you, and uh, which I'm sure you're greatly thankful for. And uh, uh, she actually grew up in this area. She lived at Highbury all her life. Her father owned land up behind where all the quarries are and all those sorts of things. And so we built a house, our first house we built in this area in 1968. And... Uh, we had short sojourns to Balaclava and Wyala where I was teaching and then we came back here and we were at Hope Valley for 30 years before all this other stuff happened. So that's basically the summary of my life. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to the truth of your word today and give to each one of us the revelation we need for our lives this week and into the future. When the planes hit the Twin Towers in New York on 9-11-2001, Christina Stanton had been knocked unconscious as she stood on the balcony of the 24th floor apartment, just six blocks from the two tower. She was relocated to Battery Park. She left the island as a maritime rescue. And like many others in that downtown trauma zone, she couldn't return to her apartment for months. She worried about her health after inhaling dust from the collapsed towers. While standing in Battery Park, Christina wondered whether she would survive the day and she began to, to reconsider her shallow faith. She said, I didn't know where I was, whether I was going to die. I became painfully aware that I didn't possess a relationship with God that I'd, only ever that I'd only ever lived for myself. It was a terrible acknowledgement that throughout my life, a saviour beckoned me with open arms and I never cared enough to respond. A friend told her about the local Redeemer Church in New York and she accepted the church's financial gift and eventually became a member of the church where she, with her husband, are now on the staff. Unlike Christina at this moment, most of us are not facing that kind of challenge as to whether if we die tonight, where we might end up. The question as to where she would be if she died that day was very real. However, for most of us, our lives are not threatened and an appropriate question that might apply to us is, if you don't die tonight, which I hope is the case for all of you, what are you going to do tomorrow? The answer should be, I'm going to trust Jesus with all my life and with everything. So most of us won't be dying tonight. 
And so we have to decide on how we're going to live tomorrow as followers of Jesus. In 2 Peter, that reading that we've just heard, Simon Peter was writing near the end of his life and reminding the followers of Jesus how to live the life that Jesus intends that followers would live. Consequently, he wrote those words that we heard from Scripture today. It started in verse 3, said, His divine power has given us everything for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. We need reminders all the time that something amazing has happened to us when we repented and believed and were saved through faith. Something very significant happened. Whether you, like me, I grew up in the Methodist minister's home and so we travelled all over the state. And so faith was always there, but there were crisis points in my life that I had to uh, decide whether I would continue to follow Jesus or whether your experience has been sudden where you were confronted by Christ in some way and decided to follow him and, and gave your life to him. We've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into being a new creation in Jesus. We are now participating in the life that Jesus is living and there are things we can do to help us grow in that relationship. One theologian wrote, the Spirit of God transcends human ability and transforms human inability. And the Spirit gives us power to do things we could never do and takes what we can do and makes it even better. An incredible transformation has taken place that has enabled us to live in a totally new way with other people. As a new creation in Christ, we have a new identity and been brought into a new community that expresses the life of Jesus because he lives in each one of us. We are forgiven. Guilt has been dealt with. We have received the Holy Spirit. Christ lives in us. We have been powered by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 1.27 it says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. John Wesley was a famous preacher who lived from 1703 to 1791 and he preached thousands of sermons across Britain and the United States and obviously experienced all kinds of opposition. In 1740, a deist by the name of Covers Middleton published a challenge to the Christian belief in miracles and called into question the integrity of the Christian gospel that Wesley was preaching. Though scheduled to visit a friend in Rotterdam, John Wesley delayed his trip 20 days so he could see through Middleton's challenge and respond as clearly and charitably as possible. The result was an essay called A Plain Account of Genuine Christianity that demonstrates that for the revivalists, the best evidence of the Christian faith is the power of the transformed life as seen in the community of faith. 
the most enduring part of Wesley's response to Middleton was tucked away at the end of his response. After defining what can be called genuine Christianity, Wesley made a simple but potent appeal in eight words to Middleton and laid his gospel on line with his come and see what Christianity has done here. From a person who was a great preacher and a master with words, his defence of the gospel was the power of the community holding on snugly as it rides into the cycles of grace itself. We know from history that John's preaching radically changed the society through the people and community that came about. It is the Christ in us that will be the proclamation that we make as a church. How we are transformed will be the witness. The community that God has created is also seen in the Old Testament as well as the New. We see it in the life of Abraham, Moses, David and many more. It has not always been an obedient one, but God has not let it go and continues to establish a family that expresses the heart of God to both the local community and the world. A people in whom God's transforming power is working daily. If we only treat the time from when we first believe to the time we die so that all our life is about waiting to go to heaven, we miss what God is wanting to do with us now. If Wesley had done this, the world would be a different place, as it was through the preaching of the gospel that brought transformation to people such as Wilberforce, Rakes, Carey, Florence Nightingale, General Booth, and a hundred other vital leaders who brought freedom and life to many people and changed societies. In his communities, Wesley gave five ways to stay unified, even if we disagree in the non-essentials. Number one, Treat them as companions. In other words, ask them to lunch. Two, do not think or speak evil of them. Refrain from pointing out your differences. Focus on what you have in common. Three, pray for them. Make the personal church the special object of your prayers that week. Four, encourage them to do good. Encourage the person in the good work they're already doing. Ask them questions to find out more of what they're doing. Collaborate with them in ministry. See if you can work alongside of them. And so they were just ways that he encouraged his community to be expressing the very heart of God that was a witness to the, to the world. It's not just about hanging around and trying not to sin until we die. It is about the transformed life that is expressing Jesus wherever we go each day. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's work is to make us like Jesus. It is a life made for relationships that form community. It is about lives transformed by the gospel because of the grace of God. It's something we're about every day in cooperating with the Holy Spirit. In Timothy Keller's biography, one of the quotes that recently grabbed my attention was, Cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever imagined. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. When we recognise how fallen we were as people from wanting anything to do with knowing and worshipping God and then discover how much God loves us, particularly expressed in life, death, resurrection of Jesus, we start to glimpse 